Good morning. It's wonderful to be here and to see you all here. It's uh, wonderful to have the warmth of so many bodies on a, a cold day like today. You braved the elements. You came out. It's wonderful to see you here. Uh, but also a warm welcome to all of those viewing uh, from home, maybe still in your pyjamas, uh, whatever that might look like. <laughs> wonderful to have you with us too. Now, the Easter celebrations finished last week, but the story continues on. And so this week and next week, we're going to continue with a couple of themes that continue uh, before we start a new term and a whole new series. And so the theme we've been looking at in this Easter season is the road to restoration, that our God through Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to be restored back to himself. Our God is in the restoration business because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection. We all have the ability to be restored back to him and have life in him once more. But it all relies on one precious reality which we focused on last week and that is that Jesus rose from the grave. It wasn't just that he made great claims, but he did great things to prove those claims. He proved that he had authority over the grave by rising again. Romans 1.4 states that Jesus Christ our Lord was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit. Our Jesus Christ has shown us that he is who he says he is because he rose from the grave. And as we continue to read the Bible, the, the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles, we continue to see more proof of the fact that he, was, uh, that he rose from the grave. And here are some accounts for us this morning from Acts 1, 1 to 3, and then from 1 Corinthians 1, 15. In the book of Acts we read, in my first book I told you, now that's the, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Here are some eyewitnesses who were recording the very fact that Jesus rose from the grave. They, they saw him. We also see Paul write these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 from verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. So pause. Paul is writing this to a church and saying this is what is most important. This is the core of what we stand for and what we believe. That Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen more by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of writing, I must add, <laughs> though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Here are just a couple of accounts, some of the key accounts about Jesus revealed himself to his followers after he died to prove that he rose again. But I'd like to do something a little bit different this morning. This sort of goes 
out of the ordinary for what I would normally present on a Sunday morning, but it's something I know that has encouraged me in my journey, and I pray that it might encourage you. Because if Jesus did rise from the dead, surely there's more evidence than a couple of eyewitness accounts written in the Bible. If that's all that we have, then did it really happen? It's a circular argument to say Jesus rose from the dead because our Bible says so. Well, if it's only the Bible that says it, did it really happen? Because think about it, such an extraordinary event would surely ripple and make a difference in the world at that time. Surely there's more than just a few accounts and a few eyewitnesses in Scripture. I want to look at some proof today and some evidence that goes even beyond Scripture itself. You see, if Jesus was an historical figure which is not disputed in any way at all, then there has to be more to show that he did die and rise again. You see, here's the thing as believers, if you have your faith in Jesus Christ, it's not a blind faith. Yes, we talk about having faith in him, placing our trust in him, but it's not blind faith. There is evidence to show that Jesus is who he said that he is. And once that evidence is presented, it's then that we place our trust in him and our faith in him. And so today I would like to present some of those other evidences that are there. A lot of this is based upon the case for Christ. I'm not sure if you've, if you've seen, the, seen the movie or if you've seen the, the small group study. I have. A lot of it comes from this and a lot of the research done by Lee Strobel in this book in some of the movies that are done. Now, Lee, Lee was a legal journalist who was a doubting husband. His wife comes to faith. He sees his wife have an encounter with Jesus Christ and her life changes. But he is still adamant that Jesus wasn't real. This is a fairy tale. Why are you placing your trust in this? So being a legal journalist, he thought, I'm going to go and to prove that Jesus did not exist. I'm going to use all my knowledge to show that this was not a reality. But rather than proving these realities to be untrue, he discovers them to be sound and true, based upon research and evidence that would hold up in any court of law. He himself places his faith in Jesus Christ and is now living for him and sharing this with people all around him. And so we ask the question this morning, Is there evidence that Jesus did die and rise from the grave? Do we have proof that Jesus died and rose again? We can say this. We have corroboratory. I knew I'd pause on this word. Come on, say it with me. It's a hard word. Corroboratory. There it is. I practiced that word like a million times this morning. Do you know why? I am a father with young kids who love the Wiggles. And if you're a parent and you've got kids who love the Wiggles, they have a song called The Corroboree Frog. And so as a parent, every time I go to say the word, I think of The Corroboree Frog. Just just put that out there. But it's not The Corroboree Frog. Frog. (laughs) Corroboratory. Corroboratory evidence. Now this type of evidence is that evidence that serves, that supports or corroborates the evidence and the witnesses and the eyewitness accounts that we have in Scripture. And they prove that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose from the grave. See, why is this sort of evidence important? You might be saying, Wally, 
I really believe in Jesus. Why, 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 is this, why is this even important? My faith is in him. So I believe this is important, one, to build your own faith even more. And to equip you and enable you to be able to share about Jesus to those around you who may not be so certain or so sure. You see, if Jesus was an historical figure, which there is no dispute, then we should also see the effects of his life, the effects on those around him and and those beyond the biblical accounts. If his life is only recorded in the Bible with the accounts of his life being divorced from any other source, then it could be conceded that he is just another fairy tale, no different to the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. It's important that we understand that Jesus' life made a big difference. I'd like to read this quote from historian Paul Meyer. He says, Often the same people, places and events referenced inside scripture are cited also in non-biblical materials. These range from a whole host of geographical place names to the hard evidence of archaeology to a host of documents that have come down to us from the ancient world that correlate completely with the biblical evidence. And you might hear that and say, well, of course it does. Of course it does. Well, here's an example. One that is not easy to, to I guess, make up. In Luke 23:44, as we read about the events of Jesus' death, we read that by this time it was about noon, and as Jesus dies, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Now you may have read that before and read it many times. And said, yeah, well, of course. But think about that. This is an enormous event. As Jesus dies, the sun goes dark. He goes black. And there's an earthquake that even tears the, the curtain in two in the temple. So if this was true, surely other people saw this and witnessed this. We read this. Oh, wait. Sorry, I threw this in last minute because it happened this morning. I'll go back to it. <laughs> this morning I woke up to this. This is my car. Uh, I woke up to some ice on the windshield and not sure how early you got up. And what you saw this morning. <laughs> but it was really cold. And I got up and there was ice on the car. And I was even driving here. I was driving here to, to church. And there was ice on the side of the roads that had gathered in, in the, the drains beside driveway. Like when you drive up to the snow and you start to see scatterings, the first, it felt like that. I'm driving to church going, feels like it's going to snow. It was, it was amazing. Now this This storm, this cold day, to you and I, we understand this. We're experiencing it. We're still experiencing it. Some of you were probably at home because you thought, I'm not going out in that cold. (laughs) Some of you braved the cold and you came here. But in, in years to come, the question will be, will people be able to look back and say that this event happened? Now, we could ask the eyewitnesses, which are you and I, but there is going to be far greater evidence than just the fact that you said that it happened. This is corroboratory evidence. You say in the days to come, there will be records in many places and in many ways about this event because this is quite extraordinary. News articles will document this day as snow falling on mountains in autumn in Melbourne. Now, part of us goes, wow, that's amazing. And then a part of us, if we've lived here long enough, go, ah, (laughs) It happens. That's Melbourne. 
But see, there will be much more corroborative evidence in the future. There will be other sources. For instance, traffic incident reports. There will be more accidents on the road because of the wet and slippery conditions. Weather reports will have shown this to be an extraordinary event. There will be more insurance claims because of this event. Even data, the usage of power will skyrocket because everyone's getting up this morning and doing what? Putting on their heaters. And now the power being used in Melbourne right now is, is, is putting a drain on the system. Power outages even. I got into the office and the power flicked off for a moment and everything started beeping, buzzing. Not sure if that happened wherever you were. All of these things are further proof that that event happened. So in the same way, as we look at this historical evidence, there, would, there needs to be proof of this beyond scripture and this is amazing. I shared uh, this, this historical event, darkness sweeping the land. You see, the evidence we have is historical. We also have medical evidence that goes above and beyond just what we know. Historically, we read this, in regards to the darkness that swept the land. This phenomenon evidently was visible in Rome, Athens and other Mediterranean cities. According to Tertullian, now this is a, a secular historian Going many years back, it was a cosmic or world event. Phlegon, a Greek from Caria writing a, chronolog- a chronology soon after 137 AD, reported that in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, that is 33 AD, there was the greatest eclipse of the sun and it became night in the sixth hour of the day, that is noon, so that stars appeared in the heavens. Not only that, there was a great earthquake in Bithynia and many things were overturned in Nicaea. I find that, I find that fascinating. Historians writing and you can connect the dots, you can connect the dates. This is the very day that Jesus died, the very time that he died. And that effect rippled out and is recorded for us even in history beyond scripture itself. Now, you might think, well, sure, of course that's going to happen. This is a faith, all the evidence will be there. This is not so. I did some studies in my past um, on the Book of Mormon. In my previous church, we had a Mormon temple across the road from our church. And a couple of them were brave and and came and knocked on our door uh, at the office at church and wanted to start meeting. So I started meeting with them weekly, and I thought, I better do my research here. And so I started to do my research in regards to their, to their faith, and spent about a year toing and froing uh, with these two. But one thing I actually discovered, that if you read the Book of Mormon, not one place, one person, one date, one form of currency, has ever been grounded or discovered in worldwide history. Not one. So an entire faith, one of the fastest growing in America, who base their faith primarily on the Book of Mormon, supported by Scripture, who put all their faith in a book that is not grounded in historical evidence. In contrary, as we read the Word of God, all of these events are supported by history. So the reality is that his life does make impact beyond the Bible alone. This gives us confidence to know that what he said and who he is is true. We also 
Read this. Let's say for a moment you didn't even have the Bible. Hard to believe. I know. But imagine for a moment that you did not have the Bible to read. Based upon evidence from some early historians and scholars, the three main being Josephus, the first being Josephus because he was a very important secular Jewish historian, not a, a, a Jesus-believing historian. He was a, he's famous for recording events from the first century. He was born in AD 37, a couple of years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Tacitus is also one of the earliest historians that we know of. He was a Roman historian and a politician, and he's widely regarded as one of the greatest Roman historians by modern scholars. He was born in 56 AD, shortly after the life of Christ. And then there's Pliny the Younger, who became the governor of Bithynia in northwestern Turkey. And we gain insight from some of his correspondence with an emperor, so writing letters to and fro, talking about the events of the time, and he died in AD 79, again, shortly after the life of Christ. Looking at their records alone, this is what we would be able to put together about the life of Christ. We would still have considerable amount of historical evidence about Jesus without the New Testament. In fact, it would provide a kind of outline for the life of Jesus. We would know, first, Jesus was a Jewish teacher. Second, Many people believed he performed healings and exorcisms. Third, some people believed he was the Messiah. Fourth, he was rejected by the Jewish leaders. Fifth, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Sixth, despite his shameful death, his followers who believed he was still alive spread beyond Palestine so that there were multitudes of them in Rome by AD 64. And seventh, all kinds of people from the cities and countryside, men, women, slave and free, worshipped him as God. Isn't that fascinating? Just looking at historical accounts of the life of Jesus, we can learn this about him alone. And so... Is there evidence that Jesus did die and rise from the grave? Well, we have some historical evidence that he was here and that people believed he did so. I'd like to go further because we not only have historical evidence, we have medical evidence. Many sceptics, there have been many sceptics, of course, in regards to the life of Jesus. And one of the, the main theories in regards to the fact that he didn't actually die and rise again is called the swoon theory. Have you heard of it? Maybe, yeah. The theory is simply this, that Jesus was unconscious but not dead, that he fainted. In the midst of the crucifixion, he, he fainted and woke in the tomb, in the cool damp, air, cool, damp air of the tomb. And he woke up in that place and he escaped from the tomb. Yeah, that he didn't actually die. People did see him, but he didn't die. Some say even that he was drugged. The Quran itself expresses the idea that Jesus never really died on the cross. This, this was written in the 7th century. And the Ahmadiyya Muslims contend that Jesus actually fled to India. And to this day, there's a shrine that allegedly marks his real burial place in Kashmir. Also in the 19th century, Karl Barth, Karl Venturini and others tried to explain away the resurrection by suggesting that Jesus only fainted from exhaustion on the cross. 
See, there have been people trying to explain this away. Why? Because everything centers on this one fact that Jesus died and that he rose again. What we discover, however, that there is much evidence that supports the claims of Scripture that shows that Jesus did in fact die and rise from the dead. Some of that evidence can be the medical evidence that we find scattered throughout Scripture, which I'd like to bring our attention to this morning. There's medical evidence for his death as we look at Scripture itself. Certain elements of I guess, of, of, uh, of truth that may have not even been discovered until well after his death. Many of the witnesses were not doctors. They weren't scholars themselves. So they're writing eyewitness accounts. And yet in the midst of these accounts, we have these amazing evidences. As Jesus is journeying, begins his journey to the cross, he goes to a garden and he prays. You may have read this account. He goes and just before he is actually taken from the soldiers, he, he goes and he prays to God. He cries out, if, Lord, if you can take this away from me, if you can take this cup from me, so do it. But Lord, if it's your will, so be it. I'll do what you need. And in that we see, I guess, this anguish, the, this humanness to Jesus Christ that was not looking forward to this moment. And in this account, as we read this account in Luke twenty-two forty-four, we read, and being in anguish, He prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, is that just an analogy to say, to talk about just how anxious he was? Well, it has since been discovered. Now, forgive me if I don't pronounce these correctly. I'm presenting this information myself, so I'll just leave it there for you. But (laughs) I'll give it a go. Hamid, Hamid. Hematidrosis. Anyone correct me on that? No? Good. <laughs> it's been discovered of an occurrence which is not actually very common, but it occurs and is associated with a high degree of psychological stress. Severe anxiety causes the release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in the sweat glands. And as a result, there is a small amount of blood bleeding into these glands, which tinges the sweat of the individual blood red. We see here, as we read scripture, people who would not have understood this or known this, evidence that we now know to say, hey, this is, this is true. And then there's also the flogging, in which many people died alone. In the gospel accounts before Jesus was crucified, Before he was taken, he was flogged. Now, Roman floggings were brutal, usually consisting of 39 lashes. The soldiers would use a weather lip that was braided and it often contained metal balls that were woven within the whip. And as the individual was was struck with the whip, it would leave bruises and contusions. And those, after being hit in time again, would split open, break open and bleed profusely. Not only that, the whips would often contain broken bone. Those pieces of broken bone would dig deep into the flesh of the victim and tear and strip that flesh away, often leaving the person in their carcass, their ribs exposed, veins completely exposed. Many people, the majority, didn't make it through the 39 lashes 
and were killed by the flogging alone. We read this, Alexander Methrel, an MD, writes, We know that many people would die from this kind of beating even before they could be crucified. At least then the victim would experience tremendous pain and go into hypovolemic shock. What is hypovolemic shock? It literally means low blood. Hypo meaning a measure, lemic meaning low uh, uh, blood, sorry. It was something that came about and comes about when an individual has had severe blood loss. And it's in this place that the individual has a racing heart. The blood pressure drops in the individual, causing fainting and collapse and also causing the person to become very thirsty. Again, two things that we see as Jesus is taken from the flogging to the cross. He falls. He cannot even carry the cross. He faints, falls to the ground because of how weak he is. And then on the cross we see him also thirsty, calling out for water, which, which he would not take. Each of these little pieces of the puzzle that start to show exactly what he was doing. And now as we look back, we can understand this even in a medical way. How about this, the crucifixion? The actual word itself was created because of the crucifixion process. The actual word is derived from this process. It's a root word that comes from to crucify. Think of this, it's so painful, so bad, that they didn't have a word to describe the process, so they had to come up with a new word and a new word and a new term. Sorry, just pausing for a moment. I think we're okay over here. Sorry. I don't want to just ignore what's happening here. Someone's just, I think, not feeling too well. Yeah? You okay? Yeah. We're praying for you. Do, do you want to go grab some water? Yeah? Done. All right. Are you okay for me to keep going? <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? She's recovering. Sorry, I just had to pause. We're a community of faith here. We care for one another. So, <laughs> Marley, we're praying for you right now. Father, just be with her in this moment. Give her the strength, we pray in Jesus' name. We all say, Amen. Amen. Coming back to the medical evidence. So the, the crucifixion, the actual word for to explain this means excruci- excruciating. Again, we have this quote. The pain was absolutely unbearable. In fact, it was literally beyond words to describe. They had to invent a new word. Excruciating. Literally. Excruciating means out of the cross. Think of that for a moment. They needed to create a new word because there was nothing in the language that could describe the intense anguish caused during this process. This author goes on to write this. I'll grant you, the soldiers didn't go to medical school. But remember, they were experts in killing people. That was their job. And they did it well. They knew without a doubt when a person was dead. 
And really, it's not so terribly difficult to figure out. Besides, if a prisoner somehow escaped, the responsible soldiers would be put to death themselves. So they had a huge incentive to make absolutely sure that each and every victim was dead when he was removed from the cross. The process itself, yes, these soldiers may not have been medical experts that we have today, but think about the incentive there that if the individual was not killed, who, was, who took the blame for it? The soldiers themselves. We also see this, blood and water. Pericardial and plural effusion as it's known today. In John 19 from verse 31, we read the account of a soldier who pierces the side of Jesus with a spear. And as he does so, both water, a clear fluid and blood flow out of his side. Before he died, we know this, that the shock that we spoke of earlier also creates uh, fluid to build around the heart and the lungs. To the point that when the person dies, those fluids separate and when, a, uh, when the side is pierced, both blood and water flow out from the side of the individual. This was actual evidence for the soldiers that a person had passed away, that they had died. So as we read, we can know for certain that what they saw and what they record for us is absolute proof that Jesus was dead. It was their proof that he had died and proof to take him down. It is completely certain that Jesus died. I know some of these things are quite dark. It's hard to focus on these. But as we do so, we realise that these things are true. Just getting some fresh air. For all that we know, from what we know in scripture, from what we know of evidence beyond that, we can be certain to know this, that Jesus died. It doesn't take much to look into his life, to look into his death, to know that he did. We also have evidence for his burial. These two, much quicker. <laughs> the medical evidence for me was such a, an important part. But we also have evidence for his burial. It's not even a contested part of the story these days. We know as we read the event that Jesus' body was entrusted with Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who became himself a follower of Jesus. And as he takes the body, we read that those who were, that the authorities were actually quite concerned. They had the tomb and Jesus' body guarded and sealed under Roman authority. Jesus was buried under Roman escort. That was not normal. I'll put that out there. It was not normal for the for Roman authorities to give a few soldiers to seal a tomb and to make sure that the body remained there. So you need to ask why. Why is this so important? 
Remember this, it was the Jewish leaders who killed Jesus, as well as the Roman authorities. They had a lot of vested interest in Jesus staying in that grave. They killed him knowing that he had declared he would rise again. They were afraid of riots. They were also afraid that this might start a movement. It was the very movement they were trying to squash by killing Jesus. And we read this in Matthew 27. If you have your Bibles, open it. Matthew 27 from verse 62. Just after we read about the burial of Jesus in Matthew, about Joseph who who buries him, we read, The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what the deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that, request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than when we were at first. And Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best that you can. So they sealed the tomb and guards protected it. Roman soldiers were placed at the tomb to stop Jesus' body from disappearing. That was their very call. That's what they were there. That was their task. Guards who would watch that tomb day and night. Guards who, if they failed, would be killed. Guards, if they fell asleep on duty, would be killed. They were put there because the authorities were afraid of one thing, that Jesus' body would be stolen and they wouldn't be able to prove that he was dead. We know that he was buried. There's no question about that. Sorry. We also know that he resurrected. We know that Jesus rose again. How can we be so sure, you ask? One reason is quite simple. And it's simply this. The silence from authorities shows us that the authorities didn't have his body. The authorities who put... Soldiers, the best trained soldiers out the front of his grave to to stop people from stealing it. All they needed to do, all the authorities needed to do to, to, to squash this rebellion was to parade his bodies down the street. After three days to go, this is the Jesus that we killed. This is the Jesus that you said would rise again. Look, here he is. All they needed to do was show. Parade him and everything would have been proven. But this never happened. And why? Because they didn't have his body. Why? Because he rose again. And we hear even in Matthew 27, they make a cover story. From verse 11 to 15. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. So the the guards come and tell the priests, that an angel came, that, that there was this earthquake, that he, that he escapes. And a meeting with the elders was called. That's an important elders meeting. I have to say that. They met quickly and they decide to do what? Give the soldiers a large bribe. 
they told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while you were sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. And the guards accept the bribe and said what they were told to say. And it says this, their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. This lie spreads. This lie that goes against everything, the culture of the day, the way they operate. And the fabricated lie does not stick. In the Bible we have record after record that there were multitudes who saw Jesus alive. We have extra historical accounts from secular historians to say that he was seen by multitudes after he died. More than 500 people over many days witnessed him alive. But I think the greatest, the greatest witness is the change it had on the lives of those who were his followers. Because think about this. If Jesus said he was going to die and rise again and your faith depended on that, well, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, if he disappeared and you never saw that, what would you do as a believer, as a follower of Jesus? You'd run for the hills. You'd hide. Now, there may be a few committed ones who would say, yes, okay, it didn't try, quite work out the way that it has gone, so we'll keep going on, we'll keep going on. Yet countless of them were hunted down by Roman authorities and crucified themselves, killed, beheaded, skinned, put in logs and sore in two. All with the one simple thing, all they needed to say is it didn't happen and they'd be spared. They went to their graves believing that Jesus rose again. Why? Because he did. It's been said that without having a reliable testimony for the emptiness of Jesus' tomb, the early Christian community could not have survived in Jerusalem proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. Even the more sceptical historians agree that for primitive Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was a real event in history, the very foundation of faith, and not a mythical idea arising out of the creative imagination of believers. These are historians saying these words. And British theologian Michael Green says these words, the closing words an argument for our morning. The appearances of Jesus are as well authenticated as anything in antiquity. There can be no rational doubt that they occurred and that the main reason why Christians became sure of the resurrection in the earliest days was just this. They could say with assurance, we have seen the Lord. They knew it was he. <laughs> they continued following Jesus because he rose again. And it all comes down to this. Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is the Son of God. You don't need faith to believe in the historical accounts of Jesus, the, the medical accounts of Jesus, the, histor- the, the historical accounts. It is there. But we do have a choice to place our faith in him. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I pray that this bolstered your faith and you can go away going, yes, that was good, that was good. And I'm happy to give my notes to anyone if you want the data. Or go buy the book, The Case for Christ, it's all there too. There's small group studies on it, do it with your small group. I pray that would encourage and 
build your faith. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, I pray that it will have you questioning more than ever. (laughs) That you may go knowing for certain that he was here. He lived, he died, he rose again. But more importantly, that you will place your faith in him. That you will trust him today. Can I pray? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, also for so much more. Lord, we don't believe in you with blind faith, Father. We thank you for the evidence that is there. If we would only open our eyes and be brave enough to look, it is there and it jumps out from the page. And so we thank you for it. We pray that it may encourage us and build our faith in you. Lord, I pray for those who may not have placed their trust in you. I pray that these things might sit deep in their heart. I pray that it might bring them a step closer and even today, even in this moment, to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is alive. I place my trust in you. So we go, Lord, praising you, giving you thanks for who you are, that all that you say is good, that all that you say is true. Give us boldness, Lord, we pray, to live our days for you. We give you thanks and pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen.